you beautiful people of the internet. You are here to witness a monumentous occasion. This is episode one of Cinematic Blind Spots. I am Adam. And I'm Josh. And we are two guys, two regular guys who just love movies and love talking about them. There is not a minute of film school between the two of us. <laughs> we are just average Joes who love movies of all kinds, all shapes and sizes, which is actually a great way for me to um, bring up this next question. But uh, Josh, would you like a cigarette that's dipped in LSD? Well, Adam, as much as I'd like to try it, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> We're very tardy to the party on this aspect, but we, because we, we both work odd shifts and we have not been able to actually get off from work to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, we finally got to see it this weekend. And Adam, I must say, it was worth the wait. It was absolutely worth the wait. Oh my God, that movie. So, I mean, I, what was your first Quentin Tarantino movie where you were like, okay, I love this guy. He's amazing. I think it was when my brother showed me Reservoir Dogs. Really? How, how old were you when you saw Reservoir Dogs? I was probably 14 or 15. Really? He showed it to me. He knew about him. I didn't know about uh-huh. him. Because I, I remember like walking through Blockbuster and seeing the, the cover for, for Reservoir Dogs and being like, what the hell is this? I have no idea what this is. Um... But for me, my first Tarantino flick was Kill Bill Volume 1. And I was like fresh out of high school when it came out. And I, well, wait, wait, what, what year did, what year is that? Was that 2003? 2003. 2003. Okay, so I was still in high school. And I hated it. I hated Kill Bill. I had no idea what was happening. I, that's not a very good first Tarantino movie. It's not a good movie to introduce someone to Tarantino because <laughs> you... I've always said this since, um, like, Tarantino is like coffee or beer or wine. He is an acquired taste. The first time you try him, you're probably going to hate him. Um, so, yeah, that, that left a bad taste in my mouth. But a couple, a few years later, when Inglorious Bastards came out, I was like, ooh, I love World War II stuff. This looks interesting. And I, I actually got through it. I was like, that was really pretty good. I mean, a little unrealistic there in the end. <laughs> I went into it thinking that it was, like, based on a true story. <laughs> And then, like, oh, about five minutes before the movie, and I'm like, nope, this is not a true story. I hope you didn't go into this movie feeling like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, there were elements of it that I expected to be a true story, but um, but no, after that, you know, after Inglorious Bastards, I was like, okay, this is this is this guy's good. So then Django Unchained came out. I saw that. I instantly loved it. I even went back and watched Kill Bill Volume One, and through all new eyes have a massive appreciation for that movie it's amazing i love it and then after that did you see volume two yes yes i i went to best buy and bought the kill bill volume one and two blu-ray set and now like like you've got the really nice tarantino box set with all of his movies in it like does it does it have uh, death proof too yes i'm pretty sure it does it goes all the way up it came out right before Django unchained came oh, out okay. so it's everything till then everything including till true the... romance which you wrote oh god that, that movie oh my god <laughs> but uh, but no, see, like you've got the really nice box set. I've got all these individual DVDs, like I'm all over the place, or individual Blu-rays. Um, but yeah, so ever ever since Django Unchained, I've been like Quentin Tarantino can like I, I don't want to say he can do no wrong, but he would have to do really bad to yeah, do it's wrong. Gonna, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be really hard. <laughs> it's all pretty great out there. Um, so once upon a time in Hollywood. Not based on a true story, but there are 
elements of real history in it. That's what I find absolutely fascinating. The whole thing with Charlie Manson. That was one of my biggest complaints with the movie was I wanted more of him. Like you only see him for like, Oh, and um, spoiler alerts. We, we are going to go into spoiler territory. So if you have not seen, if you have not seen once upon a time in Hollywood, I almost said once upon a time in Mexico. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> Made by a dear friend of Quentin. Very good Robert friend. Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. Yes. Um, if you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, go see it. Come check back with us later, and and see if if we uh, if we share the same opinion. Um. So, yeah, um, they they kind of played up the whole Charlie Manson thing a little bit too much in the trailer, I think. Because I don't know, it made it made it look like he was going to have a bigger presence. You only see him in one scene of the movie, and I kind of hate that because the actor who played him. Is really cool. Like you had two actors. I'm reaching for my phone. Um, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> there, people. You you get to witness all of this raw and uncut. We are not professionals by any stretch of the imagination. Well, that is why I'm glad I actually read articles about the movie because I had read that the Manson murders was gonna just kind of be a subplot. Okay. So that didn't shock me as much see i'm always afraid of reading um i'm always afraid of reading articles and stuff but um anyways the guy who played uh charlie manson damon harriman i believe is how you say his name he was one of the main characters through all six seasons of justified which is also ironic because timothy oliphant is in this movie as well he plays a really good cowboy (laughs) he sucks at pretty much everything else but he plays a really good cowboy you know why you got it up look up that damon Harriman guy, because I actually read that he plays Charlie Manson in this, but also in a show coming out on Netflix. I want to say it's Mindhunter. Yeah, you're right, Mindhunter, right here. So this, we have a guy who who has played Charlie Manson more than once. Holy crap, that's awesome. Oh, and probably gets more screen time in that show. I I imagine (laughs) he would. I imagine he would. Um, But no, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. Following the story, um, following the t- the tale of a actor, um, Nick, uh, shit, Rick uh, Dalton. Sorry, I, I was almost right. I I, <laughs> I just saw this movie like three hours ago, and I'm running on like no sleep right now. So yes, Rick Dalton, um, fictitious which, cowboy from the fifties, cowboy actor from the fifties, and this is 1969 Los Angeles. He is. Dealing with the slow and painful demise of his career, and he is not dealing with it well. He is... And it also follows his personal stuntman. Yes, his personal stuntman. Who doesn't get a lot of stunt work these days, but he mm-hmm. hires him just to keep him around. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty cool relationship these two have. You know, Brad Brad Pitt plays uh, Cliff Booth, who, um, yeah, the stuntman who doesn't do a lot of stunts. <laughs> <laughs> Although he does kick the shit out of Bruce Lee in one particular scene. Which, which is, is why he doesn't do stunts why anymore. He, yeah, why he doesn't do stunts anymore. Um, that's right. With Quentin Tarantino, you got to really pay attention because you don't know if the scene you're watching is happening now or happening later or happening in the past. It's, yeah, because that scene starts with him on the roof and then you think he leaves and goes there. Yeah. And then it turns out he's still on the roof just remembering why he doesn't remembering to do why, stunts yeah, anymore. Yeah, um, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character left him there kind of saying, hey, man, I'm going on this new show and they don't want you. So, yeah, yeah, you think he goes anyways, but no, it was just a, it was just all a memory. Um, and, you know, Adam, going to that scene, did you feel 
Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Stuntman Randy. Mm-hmm. Is he related to Stuntman Mike from Death Proof? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that. Oh, I'm like, wait a minute now. I didn't even think about that. That is entirely possible. <laughs> like, like Stuntman Randy's uncle or, or Stuntman Mike's uncle. or yeah, He uh, passed on. Passed on. And <laughs> we didn't see what kind of car Stuntman Randy was driving. If, if he was driving a black Chevelle, we might have known that was... Oh, Maybe no, he passed Nova. on the trade to a nephew or son or something. And well, if he did, Mike took it a little further. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit further. Um, Which is also interesting because his wife was played by Zoe Bell. I know, I saw that. Who was in Death Proof. Who was in Death Proof. Like, Quentin Tarantino really loves Zoe Bell. Because um, she... Started out as Uma Thurman's stunt, stunt double. double in Kill Bill. Bill. Yeah. Um, and whenever, as soon as I saw this blonde lady with this, with this, with this New Zealand accent, I was like, <laughs> oh shit, it's Zoe Bell! Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, dude, oh my gosh, that guy who, um, that guy who played Bruce Lee, he was amazing. He... Name Mike Moe. Mike Moe, yeah, M O H. Like I, I don't even know if Moe is the right pronunciation. Yeah, I, I for could it. Be it looks like wrong. it could be Mike Ma. <laughs> but um, so, how would you? Let's see. We we've talked about the main characters and and Margot Robbie's character. And now, now tell me if I'm just saying, is it Margot or Margot? I've heard people saying Margot. Mar, Mar, okay, I've heard people saying I'm, Margot Robbie. Like I'm that. almost positive I've heard her pronounce it. Okay, Margot. Okay. So, um, I would not want to be called Margot. Yeah, I wouldn't want... That, that sounds like something from a, a Lord of the Rings book. <laughs> I am Margot! Fear me! <laughs> that's probably a better analogy to me, because when I hear Margot, it, my mind flips it and just says maggot. And I'm just... <laughs> don't think she'd appreciate that. No, I don't think she would. Yeah, there's a little statue of her on my shelf right behind you, so... <laughs> Do not diss Margot, Robbie. I'm... Uh, <laughs> Another interesting thing. She mm-hmm. first, first time I saw her was in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, with Leonardo a, another DiCaprio. movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. That was the first thing I saw her in. I think um, she's of course gone on to play uh, Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, which I don't care what people say. I like that movie. Um, and she's got her their own movie coming out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bombs. What was it? Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. That was it. Okay, I was, I'm gonna say bombshell. That wasn't right. So, anyways, you got Margot Robbie who. She's the leading lady, but she doesn't get a ton of screen time playing Sharon Tate, who was a real-life victim of Charlie, of, the, of the Manson family. That's the thing, like, watching this going like, wow, Charlie Manson never actually killed anybody. He just convinced other people, people. to kill for him. Like, holy shit, that guy's like... <laughs> oh, man, I hate, I hate to think about what could have happened if any of his plans had actually come to fruition. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of interesting. We spend a little bit of time at the famous Spawn movie ranch, mm-hmm. and Charles Manson's never there while we're there. Yeah, he's never there. I mean, the only time you see him, actually, is when Brad Pitt is on Leonardo DiCaprio's roof trying to fix his antenna. He shows up in his ice cream truck. And uh, Sharon Tate and the other guy answer the door. Yeah. He's looking for one of the producers from the Beach Boys, mm-hmm. who used to live yeah. in that house, uh-huh. which apparently is the whole reason he wanted to go there. They did him wrong. But even though he had such little screen time, he does this creepy little wave. Oh, and it is a creepy yeah, moment is, in the movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for, for having such little screen time, he played it very well. Um, <clears throat> so, so I kind of went into this thinking it was kind of like a historical thing. Because like they keep mentioning, you know, real actors. You know, like there was uh, Steve McQueen was there. Um, and I... I you got Roman Polanski. You got Roman Polanski, you know, the 
<laughs> Roman Polanski, they mentioned Rosemary's Baby in the movie. Um, who else? Um, I know um, this is just me being a music geek. I, um, I loved uh, The Mamas and the Papas. And the scene where Mark, where, um, um, shit, the scene where Margot Robbie's character arrives at the Playboy Mansion, you see this one kind of heavyset woman come up, come running up to her. It's like, oh, hey, it's so good to see you. I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Cass Elliot from, oh. you know, Mama Cass from right. Mamas and the Papas. Pretty okay. sure that's who that was supposed to be. Uh, but you never actually find out. Right. Um, no, speaking on that, the soundtrack oh, was amazing. God, well, See, that has always been one of my favorite things about Quentin Tarantino movies is the soundtrack. They're all over the place, but they fit. And now he has an entire movie set in the 1960s, 1969, which for me is like one of the greatest eras for music ever. Like when I came home from watching this movie, I had to go download the Neil, Neil Diamond's Greatest Hits and listen to Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show several times because that's, that's just like... I don't know. All the music in the show is so well done. Um, and what about the little girl, the little eight-year-old? What was her name? Um, she was. She was there, there's this. She doesn't want to be called pumpkin she puss. Want, no, she. <laughs> <laughs> she does not want to be called pumpkin puss because Leonardo DiCaprio makes that. She's 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 a she's a child actor in the new show that that uh that Leo's character is doing. And but see, he's not the star. He's, he's not now, the star. Of, he is the now villain. Now late in his career, yes, he has turned into the. He has villain. to play the bad guy in all these. As they call the heavy, the heavy. Yeah, I've never heard that term before. I didn't know it either. But apparently, it sounds like it was someone who used to be a star and now guest stars on up and comer shows mm-hmm. to put them over, basically. Kind of like John Stamos. <laughs> 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 they didn't. They didn't have a ten ten three two one commercials back then. But <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, uh, Nick Daltrey would have been on it. Rick, Rick Daltrey would have been on it. But no, that little um, girl, I can't remember her name. She only gave her character's name and yes. would not tell. Would not tell Leo his... There's this fantastic scene where, um, you know, Leo is... Or, um, Rick Dalton is on the set of this new show. He does not want to be there. Um, Trudy was her name. So he's so they, they, she never she told never him said, Trudy. She never told him she, Trudy. She told him something else. She her told him the name in the character in the new show's name. Yes. Um, but anyways, he, he they're they're breaking for lunch and he's just trying to find a quiet place to go read a book and he finds this little eight year old girl sitting in one of the chairs reading this huge like tome that is. Um, she said it was like a biography of Walt Disney or something. Yes, that is what she said. Yeah. I was trying to think and of it. Yes. So it's like, yeah, not an eighth grade, not not an eight year old uh, reading level here. But God Almighty, that scene with her and his, she was she was a firecracker. I love that little yes. girl. She was she was awesome. Because uh, yeah, uh, uh, Leo makes the mistake of calling her pumpkin puss, and she's like, I don't like being called pumpkin puss. But, but she'll let it go. But she'll let it go because Leo was kind of having a meltdown. Yeah, he was reading a book about an aging cowboy star, basically. So he's basically telling his life through that book. Yeah. And In this case, it was a Bronco Buster, he said. Yeah, yeah Bronco Buster or something. And, uh, and, God, and he, I, he had an injury, so he's no longer able to perform fully like he was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this book is kind of paralleling his career in a very twisted way. Uh, so, yeah, that scene. Oh, my God. I, Leo is another one that I used to hate. You know, I hated Leo when I was younger because my sister was crazy about Titanic and had pictures of him all over her wall. Drove me nuts just going on and on about Leo. And I hated him for the longest time. But then finally, 
I got around to seeing movies like Catch Me If You Can, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's a real actor. He, I think, well, I hated Leo, but even though I hated Leo back in the day, mm-hmm. there was a movie that I did like him in, and mm-hmm. it's the first one I saw him in. What was that? What's Eating Gilbert Grape oh, with Johnny Depp. yeah. Yeah, he plays the uh, little brother with Down Syndrome, doesn't he? In that. Yes. Okay. And a lot of people, the whole joke was he, he's only good in that movie because he's not acting. Remember that? <laughs> Jeez, give him a break. The dude, the dude finally won an Oscar. Oh, you know what? There's another movie I liked him in. This Boy's Life with Robert De Niro and Ellen Barkin. It's the story of, uh, what's the author? Tobias Wolf. Uh-huh. That is a good movie. Okay, what was that again? I'm going to have to make This Boy's Life. This Boy's Life. It's about him growing up in the 50s. Robert De Niro plays this mean stepdad that comes in to their lives and treats him mm-hmm. very abusive. Oh, okay. And he finally gets out. He's never able to graduate. They always tell him it'll be nothing. But, of course, he goes on to become a famous author. Oh, cool. Got a young Tobey Maguire in that movie as well. Yeah, I see Chris Cooper's in there, too. He's another one of... The, oh, yeah, Tobey Maguire, I see. Um, I think Eliza Dushku's in there. Yeah, movie. Eliza Dushku's right there. She's um, sister. Cool, I'm going to have to add that one to my list. Because, yeah, let's see. When was this made? 93? So, Leo would have been, like... It had to be sometime around the same time as Gilbert Grape. Let's see. He was born in 74. So, yeah, it had to been right, right around the same time. So, he was maybe, like... 19? Yeah, 19, 20. <clears throat> um, so, back to... But back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We This is something you listeners are going to have to put up with. Is we can kind of go on little rabbit trails in movies. Just showing our love of film. Just showing I our mean... love of film. Exactly. It's kind of <laughs> like that... Uh, what is it? The six degrees of, of uh, separation. From Kevin six Bacon? degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Yes. Um, so, I really loved the way that while while Leo's character is filming this new show or this new movie, whatever this he's in, like you don't see the cameras. You, it's like you're actually watching the movie as it's happening. Right. You don't see the cameras. And, and, and like the only immersion-breaking part of it is when Leo forgets his line and has to sit there for a second and go, Line! <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that was really good. And then the whole thing with, um, with, with Brad Pitt's character, the whole stuntman thing, it kind of feels, to me, it feels... Like, he's just kind of there for comic relief or just, you know, hey, this guy's a cool guy, you know. Because it's almost... It's, it's almost too cool. It's almost too cool, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like ah, I'm just kind of coasting through, doing my thing, doing whatever I can do. And and um, while Leo's character is, you know, forced to sit here and watch his career collapse. But they, under they, they, it's not all... Painted up nicely because when he mm-hmm. when he drops Leo off at night and you get to see him go back to his little rundown trailer mm-hmm. behind the drive-in yeah. theater, you see he's not living the good life. No, like he's is. not. Like that, and that's what really sucks. Is like, man, this guy's out there taking the hits and you know jumping off of buildings and falling off of horses for Leo, so he doesn't have to get hurt. Leo's living in this mansion in the Holly, or not a mansion, but a really nice house in the Hollywood Hills, and this dude, this stunt guy, is living in a like a. a tiny little trailer just him and his dog <laughs> like when you first saw him open the cabinet with all the dog food in it did you think he was about to eat dog food i thought yeah. that might be part of his I, meal I thought, which comes in later it does come in later 
But yes, I thought that they were, especially when he grabbed two cans. Yeah, when he grabbed two cans, I was like, I was like okay, one for you and one for the dog? Oh, dude. Turns uh, out he's making some mac and cheese. Yeah, he's making some mac and cheese. He's eating Kraft mac and cheese right out of the pot. <laughs> why dirty another dish? Yeah, why dirty another dish? Oh, I'm just, oh man. That Kraft macaroni and cheese, that brings back bad memories. <laughs> As someone who has three kids, I still eat crab mac and cheese. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. Oh man. So we find out a little ways, like maybe a third of the way into the movie. This have we have we touched on this yet? The the whole thing with with, with Brad Pitt's wife, his no. character. Okay, we find out about a third of the way through the movie that his character supposedly killed his wife and got away with it. It's part of the reason why he doesn't get jobs. The Bruce yeah. Lee thing cost him fully, mm-hmm. but he was only even given that. The reason he wasn't getting chances before that was because of the wife thing. Yeah. And I feel like the movie kind of missed an opportunity by not doing anything with that. Not not really telling us what happened. I, guess, I mean, I guess that maybe Quentin Tarantino just kind of going, hey, I know a secret that you don't or something. Um, but, uh, I mean, that actually shows him on a boat with his wife. They're not happily married, as you, from from what she you can see. Is she is complaining. She is complaining and complaining and complaining. He's like getting ready to go snorkeling or something. Yeah, he's and in he's, a wetsuit. He's in a wetsuit. He's got a freaking harpoon gun in his hand, and at one point you see him sitting with it on his lap, and it looks like it's aimed right at her. And then it just cuts back to the scene with Bruce Lee, or, or, or was it the Bruce Lee scene? Or? Anyways, it, it cuts back to. To, to the present. And they never touch on that again. Nope. Um, so, I, I think it's a Tarantino thing. He doesn't like to give away everything. Yeah, he doesn't like to tell the whole story. He, he likes to leave some of it open to interpretation, I guess. Which, he's the director who can do that. Um, which makes me wonder, was it was this movie, was this the one you were telling me might have had like a four-hour cut or like a three-hour cut? I know he said he wanted to make it longer. I'm not sure how long of a cut it originally was. Yeah, because it was because uh, the final cut was two hours and forty three minutes, and and I could have dealt with it being longer. I could have dealt, with you, and you were right. Like what you said to me before, like you said it didn't feel like it was that long. You were right; it did not. You know, it wasn't like Midsummer where you're kind of sitting there going, "Okay, you know, right, something can happen here." Which you know, we can talk about Midsummer later. That movie was amazing. Um, but no, this one flies by. And and that's that is like that is one of the reasons I love Tarantino. Is he can take a scene that would be utterly mind-numbingly boring if another director did it. Yes. If another director did it and make it so interesting on nothing but dialogue. Like like you you mentioned true romance earlier. Um my two favorite writers, at least, I know, you know, Quentin Tarantino is a director. I, is Aaron, Aaron Sorkin, didn't he direct Molly's Game? I think that, I think, I think, he, he think that was his directorial debut. But those two, Quentin Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin, are my favorite writers, period. Like, just the way they write, the way they write dialogue. They're kind of like a yin and yang, where, where Quentin Tarantino is all, like, really snappy and quick and, you know, full of pop culture references and stuff like that, while, while Aaron Sorkin is more... Intelligent, I guess you could say. I'm not as familiar with Sorkin, only by name. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually watched. I haven't seen Molly's Game. Molly's Game was, was pretty good. I didn't I mean, even watch the, uh, um, was it Social, Social Network? Network? I didn't watch that. 
I'll have to think of a really good one. Have you seen A Few Good Men? Yes. yes okay, well, yes. yeah, that's that's okay. that's, right. that's an adaptation of a play he wrote. It was a oh, Broadway play. I did not and, know that. Yeah, um, so... That but thing. yes, I agree. Tarantino, for me, is probably my favorite writer. Yeah. Um, I remember watching Reservoir Dogs, and just that opening scene, that they're just discussing what they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how great that was. And I know you and I both talked about how great the opening from Inglourious Bastards oh, is. Oh my so. goodness, the, uh, <clears throat> friggin', yeah, that first, like, 20-minute scene <laughs> where Christoph Waltz is just being your friendly neighborhood Nazi talking about your... <laughs> Your, your daughter and your wonderful milk at your, at your farm. And he goes from being all, all nice and jovial to be, you are harboring enemies of the state, are you not? <laughs> I Fantastic. Love, I love Christoph Waltz, just for that role. <laughs> now, um, I'm going to tell you something about Quentin Tarantino I don't like as much. What is that? He has a strange obsession with showing feet. Feet! I know. I was sitting there watching this going, oh, God, Josh is going to hate this part because, like, you know, she's, like, um, uh, <laughs> Brad Pitt's character picks up one of these hitchhiking hippie girls who ends up being part of the Manson family. And what's the first thing she does when she gets in his car? Puts her feet up on the dashboard on against the, the windshield. <laughs> her nasty... Dirty feet up on his windshield. And this was a nice Cadillac, too. So, yeah, Quentin Tarantino has a thing for feet. And, and, be- and before that scene, sorry, I'm going to have to diss Margot Robbie, but she was, she's in the theater. She has some dirty she feet. She has some dirty feet. Yes, yes, she does. Uh. And I'm like, oh, there are a lot of feet shots. You see Leo's feet plenty when he's out lounging in the pool. Yep, yep. Um, don't know why... Tarantino has got a foot fetish, but he does. Good Lord. You know, I, I'm going to tell you a story. When we first bought Kill Bill, this was back in the day. You remember when DVDs had chapter uh-huh, lists? Uh-huh. That's what I used to do. I lo- used to look at the chapter list without seeing a movie just uh-huh. to see. And one of the chapters says, wiggle your big toe. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know that I want to watch this movie. <laughs> I don't like that being the name of a chapter. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I would say the first time I noticed it was uh, from Dust Till Dawn, which he, oh. he didn't direct, but he wrote. He wrote, yeah. He didn't direct, but he wrote. And you have the scene with Juliette Lewis in the RV, uh-huh. which isn't as bad as the next scene with Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek's... Foot in the mouth, pouring liquor down it. And he, I mean, you can tell, he, it's him. He loves it. It's him, yeah. It's... <laughs> it's, it's not my favorite thing of his. I will say... This I think this is the first Tarantino movie I've seen where he wasn't in it. He did not have a cameo in this one. He was not in Kill Bill. I can tell you that. Okay, he wasn't in Kill Bill. Um, and another thing, no Samuel L. Jackson. Now that was surprising. Yeah. It's been a while. Because like, I Samuel guess L. Jackson has, I, I can't remember, was he in Reservoir Dogs? No. Okay. Funny story, I just listened to a different podcast about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were talking about that. He actually auditioned for Reservoir Dogs. But he's like, who is this guy? I don't care about this guy. And then he saw Reservoir Dogs like, oh, I probably should have took that. And immediately went up to Quentin and said, you got to put me in your next movie. And when Pulp Fiction was born. Oh! So. <laughs> <laughs> well, good good call. Good call on Samuel Jackson. And it's not like, not like, uh, not like every star who passes up a role, like Will Smith, excuse me, um, gets to... Uh, Gets to go back and uh, undo all that. Well, I think it's funny. I'd have to look at Sam Jackson's career, but mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs comes out. Sam Jackson's not a star. No. The only thing I had seen him in at that point was Coming to America. 
And I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, Eddie Murphy? Right. Yeah, I've but never he, seen that one. He um, has a small part where he robs the McDowell's. It's not even a big part, but uh-huh. I remember it. So, because I love that movie growing First up. First movie I ever saw him in was Jurassic Park. And I loved Jurassic Park to death when I was a kid. I watched, we had, I'm just about tore that VHS to pieces watching it so many times. So when I finally saw another movie with Samuel L. Jackson, I was just like, hey, it's the guy who's always saying, hold on to your butts. <laughs> Seriously, that was my reaction. Um, but yeah, no no Samuel L. Jackson, no Quentin Tarantino cameo in this one. And another thing I kind of missed was Tarantino movies usually have a very distinct opening credit sequence. Like... You know, you look at Pulp Fiction or Django Unchained or, you know... Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill. Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. There's always, like, True. really... Vivid, and for some reason, he loves the color yellow. He loves yellow. All of... Like, trying to... Can't think of a single one of his movies that didn't have yellow in the font on the opening screen. But this one, all it says is, like, you know, um, uh, Columbia Pictures Presents, a film by Quentin Tarantino, and you don't even see... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood until the end of the movie when the final credits roll. I mean, I kind of like that, but it, I don't know. I mean, I'm used to like a big kind of flashy... Um, it is, but I think he was just trying to transport us to that 50s. Because it takes that, us yeah. right to Bounty Wall. It does. Yeah, you know, we're starting off with scene from Bounty Wall, which mm-hmm. is the show Rick Dalton was in, mm-hmm. Leo's character. Yeah. In the 50s that made him this cowboy star. Now, one of the things that made me made me question while I'm watching this, like, was this guy real? Was he a real person? Because they, they talk about him being in movies with real actors like Telly Savalas and, and, and people like that. And um, They have him uh, in, an, I guess, what was it an audition for The Great Escape? What yeah, yeah, I they mean, talked about... Oh, they, they, they say he did. He says he didn't get the audition, but they have footage like he did, and like he just he doesn't did. want to admit it because uh-huh. he didn't get it. Yeah. Um, that that was really well done because for them to like computer generate him or however they put him in the footage right. for for the Great Escape that was fantastic yeah. because it, it looked, looked just like the movie it looked like he belonged there I mean I as much as my dad doesn't like Quentin Tarantino as a person I feel like he would really like this movie because my dad is from California my dad was he was um, a teenager when the Manson murders happened like Ooh. he told like he told me that one time like. Like he, he mentioned one day that he was researching stuff. This was several years ago. He's like, oh, I was look, trying to look up something on the Manson family. I'm like, why the hell are you trying to look up stuff on the Manson family? He's like, I was there when it happened. Yeah. He's like, you could not buy guns and ammo because they were all sold out. You couldn't buy guard dogs because they were all sold out. So I, I would be curious to see if he feels it represented 60s Hollywood. But I would also wonder, would he be mad with the ending? Because, yeah. I mean, if you lived it, if you and lived this it, changed and it, like that. Yeah, spoiler alert, this movie does not end... Okay, again, like like in Glorious Bastards, you're sitting there, okay, well, now I know what's going to happen next. And it goes, boom, completely the opposite direction. So after um, after Brad Pitt's character picks up this hitchhiker, I, I think her name was... They called her Pussy Pussycat. Pussycat. They pussy called cat, her, but they, they do pussy say, cat, but they do we say, love we pussy, love around. pussy around here. As do I. And, and, and uh, oh my gosh, my girlfriend got a kick out of that line. <laughs> we love pussy around here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he takes her, she's hitchhiking, he takes her to the ranch, and there's not really a lot going on there. I mean, it, it does kind of do a very good job of 
making it look really creepy. Because, like, he's walking along this abandoned set of a Western TV show, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's funny. Like, when they first pull up, I can see where they're going, and I'm like, why did he stop so far back? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a long walk. Because I knew they were going to walk over there. Uh-huh. No, it's coming. Yeah. I guess they want to walk the whole town to see this whole ranch. And they did. And there's all these faces of all these young teenage girls and young teenage guys peering out, like looking like children of the corn or something. Um, And it's just like really creepy. Like if I was, if I was his character, I'd be like, you know what? You can walk by. But, um, but no, he wanted to see the ranch because that was where he had done a lot of stunt work with, with um, George Spawn. Yeah. George Spawn. Who owned the ranch? ranch. It was called Spawn's Movie Ranch. Um, That is is George Spawn the real guy? I did not know that. I wasn't. I know Spawn Movie Ranch was real. So that that I do not know. Um, How do they spell it? Like S P S P A H N. Yes. Yeah. It's apparently. Yeah, was an American rancher who once owned the Spawn Ranch near Chatsworth, Los Angeles, yeah, California. So, yeah, rented the ranch to the movie industry to film Western. So, yeah, he was a real person. Okay. But that that whole scene kind of came across, like, it, it. all it really did was set up the events to happen later in the movie. Um, which, I'll say, it did a damn good job. Well, <laughs> um, just set that up. Before he picks up this hitchhiker... We, we meet her about three different times. Yeah. Like, they see her walking from where Rick Dalton lives. They see her walking across the street with a jar of pickles. <laughs> yeah, they're like, all these all these hippie kids are, are raiding the trash, finding, you know, food out of the dumpster. And they're you know, all walking back to their to their home with their bounty, and she's holding a jar of pickles. And then they, So he sees her then, he waves, he smiles, she waves back. Then he sees her again, just cruising one of the freeways mm-hmm. in L.A. But he's going the opposite way of what she wants to go, because she's trying to get back to Chatsworth. Mm-hmm. So then finally he sees her, and he's actually going that way. Mm-hmm. And he's got time to kill, because Rick Dalton's on the set recording, and he has nothing else to do, because he's no longer a stuntman. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, basically, he's basically Rick Dalton's chauffeur, you know, driver. So, so I, I found that very interesting how this movie, it takes place over the course of two days, then you cut six months later, and it's then a day and a half. If yeah. That, just like, a few hours, mm-hmm, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I knew when, when the whole Manson killing thing went down, Sharon Tate was very pregnant, so I knew there had to be a time jump there. And that's, that's another Quentin Tarantino thing, is he does not like to tell stories in order. Or no, like, not he, at all. N- yeah, he... He, he can jump all over the place in time and... Yes, because even though you're being told the story in the course of these two days in 1969 at the beginning, you're still jumping back in time. You're seeing mm-hmm. what Rick Dalton did. You're seeing what the stuntman did. You're seeing what uh, Sharon Tate did. Yes. You know? um, well, I think Sharon Tate is actually taking... I think she's going on those days. That's the day she goes to that movie is that day we're on. Yeah, it's showing yeah. everything we do. Yeah, she she is sitting there watching her own movie while all this stuff with 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 uh, Rick Dalton and Cliff is uh, is happening. So yeah, it's like all three of these characters' lives are happening at the same time. And, and a note on that, didn't you find interesting? The star of the movie, or at least one of the stars, she's got like the top three or four billing on that mm-hmm. movie. Goes up, and they have no idea who she is. Never would happen today. No, no, <laughs> no. We'd be like, oh my gosh, I follow you on Instagram. I know you. Um, so, yes, during that six-month break, um, Rick Dalton has 
gone against his wish originally because he in the beginning of the movie his character played by al pacino this little jewish guy wants him to be in these spaghetti westerns call and, schwaz not schwartz yeah schwaz not schwartz <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those it, tarantino it's notes good i love to see it al pacino again i haven't seen him in anything in a while i don't think i think the last movie i saw him in was righteous kill with yeah. um with well i know a few years ago he played joe paterno in a movie on hbo i okay. have not watched it but mm-hmm. i know he's Still at least doing something. Yeah, I'm glad to see him getting works. I love Al Pacino. Um, but, uh, so, in the beginning of the movie, that's kind of Leo's, oh my god, my career is over moment, is when he gets offered this job to go to Italy and make these spaghetti westerns. And, well, so finally, during this six-month break, he goes to Italy, he makes these four movies, he makes a decent amount of money, he comes home with a new wife, this... Married this Italian starlet, gorgeous woman. And, um, yeah, it's then basically the last probably 30, 45 minutes of the movie is, all like you said, all taking place on the same day. And then for some reason, out of nowhere, Kurt Russell is is narrating, telling you what's right. happening. I, I was pretty sure that was him. I'm yeah, like, that, I, I, I'm, well, like in the beginning of the movie, or towards the beginning of the movie, he has one line. I was like, was that Kurt Russell just then? And then later when he started narrating again, I'm like, yeah, that's Kurt Russell. Um, I'm surprised they didn't get Samuel L. Jackson to do that. <laughs> like, in Inglorious Bastards, that's the only time you hear him is his voice narrating um, what's happening or, or some of the characters. Um, so, the last act of the movie is insane. Absolutely insane. It's, it's Tarantino doing some of his best work. That's the only way I can think to put it. Um, so you've got, you've got Leo and Brad Pitt's characters coming back to the States and Leo's like, Hey man, um, with the new wife and everything, I don't think I can afford to keep you on. I can't afford to pay you for anything. So, um, we'll get drunk one more time we'll, together and we'll, then we got to part ways. Get absolutely shit faced one more time together. And then, yeah, we got to part ways. So they do that. Um, and so they go out and party while, um, Sharon Tate and her friends, you know, Roman Polanski's out of the country like right. he really was. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned it, but Rick Dalton lives next door to the Sharon Tate. Yes, and yes, yeah. They all. So that like, is why they're so involved in this. Mm-hmm, yes. He is next door. He is next door, like the the little cul-de-sac where their private gate is. His house is right there. Yeah, it, it's a private street. They're the only two houses there. There are a lot of really cool shots in the beginning of the movie with Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate driving around in his little, I think it's a Triumph, his little British sports car, and just really neat. Did you, you get know. Austin Powers vibes? Yes! Powers oh my vibes. gosh, thank you for mentioning that because I saw that too. When I, Once the six months has ended, you see Leo's character again. I mean, and yes, what Roman Polanski was wearing looked just like, like Austin Powers and big ruffled uh, cuffs and big poofy, whatever that is, coming out of it. But then, but whenever, whenever Leo's character comes back from, uh, from Italy, uh, four completing spaghetti westerns four spaghetti in westerns months. in six months, that that really says something about the quality of those movies. I think um, comes back and his hairdo looks like made me think of Austin Powers. Yep, it was like I was expecting to go, yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so he and uh, Rick and Cliff. Um, are out getting blasted because it's their last night. And these guys have been working together for like 20 years now. They've been working together a long time. So, um, 
And then um, Sharon Tate and her friends are all out partying. They all come back home. And <laughs> something I forgot to mention earlier. There is a fantastic scene. We said it at the beginning when I asked Josh if he would like an, a, a cigarette dipped in LSD. Brad Pitt is, you know, at, at Leo's house and he's like, hey man, I got this cigarette dipped in LSD. You want to try it? And he's like, no, no, not right now. I don't want it. Okay, we'll save it for later. <laughs> so after coming back and getting from getting completely blasted, Brad Pitt's going to take his dog for a walk. He has this pit bull named Brandy. <laughs> And you know me, I'm a cat person. This dog is awesome. <laughs> this dog is awesome. Yes. I love Brandy. Um, <laughs> she, so he he decides he is going to toke up this cigarette. He's already shit-faced. He's already shit-faced. He knows their parting ways. So like, he let's is. just get... And, and, and he's... And it's great because he's like standing there on the, on, the, on the porch. He's got the dog on the leash. He takes one hit off the cigarette and goes... And here we go, <laughs> or away we go, or something like that. And he he just goes walking his dog. In, and at, as at he's night. walking his dog, this is when the Manson family starts to arrive. Uh huh. You got the main guy that we met back at the ranch, Tex, Tex. along with three of the girls. Uh huh. Uh huh. And he passes by him. Obviously, they don't recognize him. He doesn't recognize them, even mm-hmm. though they had met six before. months earlier. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. When I first saw the car come rattling up the street, I got excited because me being a car guy, it looked like a 57 or 58 Plymouth Fury. It looked like Christine, but it wasn't. But then what was funny was, okay, so these guys, they're they're up there. The the Manson family is obviously going up there to try and kill Sharon Tate um, and and everybody in the house. And they're just stopped there in the cul-de-sac. Leo's character... Who's drunk and still drinking? He is in there making He's margaritas. Margar- making margaritas. While Brad Pitt's going to walk the dog. Uh huh. Um, he hears them just. They're the in car this, just rattling. Yeah, the I car mean, just rattling. Like, blah, 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 blah. In the middle of the night, he goes out there and starts cussing these people out. Get for the, being hippies. For being hippies. Like, you hippies. fucking hippies, get the fuck out of here! And what? What I thought? Okay, this is me. He called the car a mechanical asshole. <laughs> Which is the exact same thing that one of the characters says about Christine in the movie. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Then. Yes. He um in whenever in the scene where Arnie Cunningham is first pulling Christine into the place in her garage, the old, the old guy who ran the garage comes up and is like, "That's the last time you run that mechanical asshole in here without an exhaust hose." Oh yeah, you're definitely want... more familiar with that movie I'm, than I am, dude. Dude, you know yes, me, Christine. I, know. I love cars. I love cars. So I, that was definitely one I did not catch. So I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it it was almost too coincidental to not be. <laughs> um, so, anyways, they you know they turn around and leave. The, the Manson family leaves, and, and and Leo's still standing with his margarita pitcher in the, <laughs> the middle of the, the whole cul-de-sac. Just the whole thing, off. he's just drinking out of the pitcher in, in the middle of the night. Um, not even a true pit. The blender itself. Yeah, the blender he, itself. He, he, he blended even... it in and just started drinking from it. <laughs> He just, yeah. Like, I'm just going to drink it like it is. I'm surprised he didn't put a straw in it or something. Um, so the Manson family are parked down at the bottom of the street, ready to go back up and kill Sharon Tate. And then they realize the guy who just cussed them out was Rick Dalton. Who played J.K. Hill. J.K. Hill, when they were all kids watching um, um, Bounty Law. Bounty Law. And and the guy uh, text was like, oh my god, I had a I had a bounty law lunchbox when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you recognized any of the actors or actresses there, but the blonde girl who was sitting in the back, she's actually in Stranger Things season three. 
Okay. You need to get on that yeah, show, man. I'm, I'm telling you, you really do. <laughs> um, but uh, so they're they're deciding like, okay, you know, this guy is, you know, our our most of what we watched when we were kids was all about killing. We've been teaching us to kill, so we're gonna kill the people who've taught us to kill. So they they start back up the hill, and then the blonde girl's like, oh, I forgot something in the car. And I was like, okay, well, here's the keys. And she just gets in the car and just bolts. <laughs> takes and, it, which I think is what really happened. That may have, that may have been what really happened. I think one of them actually took off. It, it's nice to know that one one teenager in that in that family had a, had a lick of sense <laughs> left. I, I really want to go and read on the actual story of yeah, what actually happened now. Need to. Um, I could probably talk to my dad about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that leaves Tex and two girls. One of which is Dakota Fanning of all people. Dakota Fanning, I was so surprised to see her in this movie, and she is scary. Good lord, she's scary. But she's not one of the ones that come back to the house. No, yeah, that was her. The the redhead, was that her? That was. I think that was a different redhead. I think okay. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt says it was that redhead, but okay. I do not think that was because her name was Squeaky. She was the one protecting over George Spawn when they right. were at the ranch. Okay, well, but I do not think I was surprised to see her as well, but I don't think that was her. You, you may be right. It might, it might have been a different redhead. But, um, There's so many girls there. Yeah, I was like, like, dude, dude, there been a guy on the Manson family ranch, dude. <laughs> well, I think, at least from what I know about certain situations like that, the, the leader is the only one that gets to do anything with those girls. Oh, That's how yeah, it it's kind of like works. the alpha male yeah. kind of thing. Oh, well. It's like, I don't want to do it. I have to. That's how they play it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways. So, these three remaining members of the Manson family, one of them has a gun, uh, Tex, the guy from earlier, has a gun, and the, the girls both have knives. They decide they're going to go up there and kill Rick Dalton. Well, we don't know that. Oh, yeah, we, we don't know that. The Manson family's coming up, so if you're familiar with the history, they're going to kill Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. so that's what we're thinking is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So they go up to the door, though, but they go into Rick Dalton's house. Mm-hmm. And that's what we didn't realize was that, coming. Yeah, so that's that's where the uh, historical accuracy of this movie goes straight to hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they bust down the door just as an LSD-infused Brad Pitt has got back from, from, from walking his dog. And good grief, he's fun when he's high. Yes. Um, he's, he's starting to feed his dog. He, he always feeds his dog these two cans of dog food. He's got one of them in the bowl, and he's got the other one in his hand. He hasn't opened it yet, and they come busting in, two through the front door, one through the back door. And he's just kind of standing there, stoned out of his mind, like... Well, I forget, while he's stoned, he licks the dog food. He licks the dog... Oh, he finally licks yes, the dog he finally food. licks the dog food. He's like... Which this dog food is like wolf's mouth Yeah, something some, like it, for mean dogs? Yeah, for mean dogs. It's like probably got some kind of... Some kind of steroids in it. And, and Brandy, by- the whole movie, is nothing but an obedient dog oh, to him. Oh, she is so. so obedient. She is so well-trained. So, when, these this, pe- when you see the mean dog, it's kind of a foreshadowing of what's about to come. Yes. <laughs> and, like, when... Because, like, when these two bust through the front door, one's got a gun pointed at Brad Pitt, the other one's got a knife, and the dog's just sitting there. The dog's not moving, because, like, you can see him motioning with his hand, kind of like, to stay. Don't move. Stay. And this tension builds, and it then this like comedic tension because he starts builds. to remember who they are. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I remember you." And he looks at Tex, and he's like, "Yeah, you said you had a, well, funny, you had a funny name." And, and, and no, no, I forget what he said, but he's like, "You had a funny name." And and then Tex says, "I am the devil." 
and I am here to do the devil's work, which I'm like, what the hell? That was Rob Zombie. But he didn't say devil's work. Oh, he doesn't. I was expecting him to say that, oh, what, which was exactly Rob's what, work. What, what, what did he say? How did he put it? Because I was expecting that, and he didn't use that. He said, I am the okay. devil, and I'm here. Oh, my goodness, I can't remember it. It was not devil's work, not because devil's I work. was expecting that to come out of his mouth and go, Really? But he did not. He changed oh, okay. it up just a little bit. Well, when he says this badass line, I am the devil and I am here to do whatever he says, Brad Pitt just goes, nah, it was something stupider than that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the girl says, Tex. And he goes, yeah, oh, that's yeah, it. Tex, that's right. You were riding around you were on riding a horsey. Yeah, riding around on a horsey. <laughs> oh, my God. And then... Oh, jeez. Like, you're, you're sitting there. Because this whole time, Leo's character is sitting on a pool float with these massive headphones on, listening to this radio, just kind of drunk, singing, and, you know. Floating around his pool. Floating around his pool in, in his lounge chair. Doesn't have a clue what's going on inside. Meanwhile, his new wife is being held at knife point. Um, Brad Pitt and, is being held at knife point and gunpoint, And, like, you think, oh, my gosh, he's stoned out of his mind. What's he going to do? And he just, he doesn't even, like whistle or snap his fingers he just goes yep. with his mouth real quick which is normally how he gets brandy to eat let her know it's time to eat and brandy just lunges at tex grabs him by the arm and starts tearing at his arm and i'm sitting there going good girl good girl brandy you're a good dog you're a good dog <laughs> at, at this point is when one of the other girls comes at him with a knife with a knife and he picks up that can of dog food and smashes her face in. I I, I cringe because like you see it like her whole her whole <laughs> nose and everything is like <laughs> like <laughs> flat like a like a like a pug just like like oh and she's just laying there They're screaming screaming. <laughs> and screaming and screaming and screaming and um after a little while Brandy goes from chewing on this guy's arm to biting him in the balls and that's when I see this whole time my girlfriend she cannot handle any kind of blood in a movie like at all. Like, we watched The Secret of Nim, and she could not handle small amounts of animated blood from oh. animated characters. Um, <laughs> she is just, like, sitting with her back to the, to the, to the screen <laughs> this whole time. She's like, nope, I'm not watching this. I'm like, okay, I'll tell you what happens. And she's like, I know. She, she's the kind of person who looks up a movie to see what's in the movie before it happens. She's, she, she doesn't care about spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, as soon as Brandy chomps down on this guy's balls. Um... And uh, then, then after that, he like he like gives Brandy another signal, and she lets go of the guy's ball and goes grabs the girl whose face just got flattened. At this point, the other girl comes in. Yes, and he starts smashing her face off the mantle, off the mantle, off the walls, <laughs> off the the floor, and everywhere her face goes, it comes up with a blood stain. Yes, on the there's wall. like big, there's like <laughs> this blood spot, like, like like he's been painting or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I guess it's a different way of face painting. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, ladies and gentlemen, give him a round of applause. <laughs> but, um, and then the girl who got her face smashed in and then was getting attacked by the dog manages to grab Tex's gun. He's got this huge ass revolver. I don't know what it was. And just starts shooting wildly. And the dog let... Well, before that, though, that, she... That, which one was it? One of them stabbed a knife. In... That was the redhead that he went and smashed her face okay, all yeah, over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She stabbed yeah, she him. She stabbed Brad Pitt in the side, like in the hip, with right. a, with a knife. With the knife that she so had. he's down. He's down, but you know, not after taking wounded, them out. After right. taking out two of them, 
Um, so she goes, yes, firing the gun wildly She just outside. goes ape shit. She goes, she jumps to her feet and is screaming and running with her hands <laughs> flailing in the air through the window out onto the back patio. And that's when Rick Dalton finally figures he out what's going on. He's just, he's just like, what the hell? And you know, for a second, she's just laying there on the ground. And then she jumps up again, screaming, and runs right into the pool. And That's when he puts out. He, he, oh, my God. He, he he gets out of the pool and goes running into the tool shed and, by and, the and pool. And the premise is, it shows earlier in the movie. You, One you, of these movies he's done, he uses this giant flamethrower. And it shows it, that it he showed that in the trailer how to mm-hmm. use it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it shows that he actually learns how to use it. Mm-hmm. And apparently... 10 years or whatever later. He still has he this He still has this flamethrower. He comes walking out in this... He's got like his house coat on and a flamethrower and just toasts this girl in the pool. Just... Just wastes her. And I'm sitting there going, you're in water! Like, duck below the water or something. But no, she's still screaming and slowly burning to death. And he's just kind of sitting there like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> he has no idea. So that is where the, the historical accuracy of this movie completely goes to hell because... Because then the ambulance the comes, they take come, off Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. They take off all the bodies, yeah. all three of them. He tells them to make sure to take care of Brandy. Yeah. Brandy's sleeping with Leo's new wife at this point, yeah. so she's fine. Yeah, she's... So this becomes the first time after living there for, I guess, the last six months that he actually meets Sharon Tate. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Or, 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 no, because he was gone for six months. Right. When making those movies. But then, like, yeah, all that but time... But they had just moved in in the beginning. Yeah, the in the beginning of the so, movie, yeah. But he had never met her. Mm-hmm. Never met, even though they were neighbors. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it's her friend that couldn't quite have her, so is willing to share her with yeah, Roman Polanski, which is Roman an odd relationship. Very odd, but hey, it's Hollywood. Um, but he's out there, and he wants to know what's happened, and he realizes it's Rick Dalton. Yeah. So then he gets Sharon on the line, mm-hmm. on the little speaker, and they all end up talking. And the, the last shot of the movie is like a kind of like a crane shot or a boom shot looking down on Sharon Tate's driveway as um, Rick Dalton and her friend are walking back up and she comes out. She's all pregnant. She comes out to greet them. Oh, it's so nice to finally meet you. Yeah, come in. Let's have a drink. Let's let's talk. We're listening to music. And once they all go inside, that's when you finally see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then the credits roll. And the way the credits roll were just like they would have rolled in 1969. They, they don't actually scroll. Right. They fade in and out, you know? There's there's no credit scroll. And that is one thing I absolutely love about Quentin Tarantino is when you watch his movies, you know he is a director who loves movies. Yeah, he, completely. You look at all of his movies, and most of them are throwbacks <clears throat> to the movies he loved growing up. Um, like, you know, this, like... like um, um, Django Unchained is totally a love letter to spaghetti westerns and movies right. of that of that nature. And I didn't get Kill Bill the first time around because I didn't realize this movie was supposed to be that, that, that Kill Bill was like a love letter to the old samurai and kung fu action movies in the seventies and, and anime. And the bride's outfit is Bruce Lee. Yeah, from Bruce Enter the Lee. Dragon. Yeah, from, what, was it Enter the Dragon? I think that was from Enter the Dragon. That was his outfit in that. Was it? It's definitely Bruce Lee. It, it was a Bruce Lee outfit, but I can't remember because I know there was a movie he was working on when he died. And he wore a yellow, like, one piece. I I think that... I I put it this way. He did not get to see Enter the Dragon come out. He died before it came out. Okay, that may have been it. I know that for a fact. He died before that movie was released. Yeah, that was it then. Um, Yeah, that's the one where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
But yeah. So, oh, and another thing, this was just me because I don't know if you noticed or not, but when you watch Kill Bill, anytime you see like one of the traveling sequences where you see a plane in the sky, you can see the little wires that are keeping it suspended. When you saw the big Pan American, Pan Am plane shots, were you looking for little strings like I was? I'm like, where's the string? I don't see the string anywhere. <laughs> I did not look you for that. You did not look for that. Okay. But as the credits are rolling, we get a great Rick Dalton yes. red apple cigarette commercial. Yes, there there are stingers in this movie. Of course, if you if you haven't seen it by now, you should know there there is something in the credits, and then the, you know, you get to see this great commercial for Rick Dalton doing yeah, like you said, red apple cigarettes. That's hilarious. And then after that's done, you get to hear like a real radio broadcast featuring the original Batman and Robin, Robin. Um, Adam West, and I'm sorry, but I can't remember who played Robin. Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Thank you. Um, you know, talking about some radio sweepstakes they were having. So again, it just really puts you in 1969. Yes. This movie does a fantastic job of of putting you in the time period. Because, like for me, I love cars. Like I've said before, so all the old cars in this movie are just so cool. I'm not a car guy like you, but I do love looking at old cars. Mm-hmm. I, they just they're just a beautiful thing to look at. Mm-hmm. That that is it. Um, <laughs> Because, like, you know, you look at cars today versus what cars, you know, I'm, I'm on, our, on my shelf here, I've got a 67 Mustang GT500, I've got a 59 Cadillac Eldorado, I've got a Tucker, which nobody knows about, you know, you'd have to be a car guy, and it was like, just, just cars back then, they had so much more character than they do nowadays. Not, not to say I don't like modern cars, I still like modern cars. Um, so, that is the story of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and about... Well, just, uh... About a third of the time it would take you to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Before that, I loved all the little cameos he spread throughout the yes! whole movie. Michael Madsen. I saw him in the very beginning. I was like, Michael My, Madsen? Even before that, in Bounty Law, mm-hmm. and this might not, it's not as big a name unless you, you're familiar, but Martin Cove, he was the evil sensei in the original Karate Kid movie. Oh, yeah. He is in the opening scene, and I was like, oh, Martin Cove. Oh, jeez, awesome. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, he's in there. Uh, when they're at the ranch, that very pregnant girl that runs in mm-hmm. town, that's string queen Danielle Harris from Halloween 4 oh and 5 gosh. and Rob Zombie's Halloween. Dude, I didn't and even And she was, that. she was extremely pregnant. She that's, really was pregnant. Then. She just had a second baby not that long ago, so when they were filming, that must have been her real pregnant state that she filmed that wow. in. Wow. And you brought up Dakota Fanning showing up as Squeaky. Yeah. George Spawn was Bruce Dern. Yeah. He was also Bruce Dern. he was just in Hateful Eight mm-hmm. from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I thought I thought that's who that was the the old uh, the old general or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's another thing with Quentin Tarantino movies. He's like you never know who you're gonna see. You like you may not even recognize them. The camera may not even focus on them long enough for you to know who they are. But like right, like for the longest time, I thought I knew who Pussycat was, but I looked her up and I don't really know her. I don't know who, but I, I knew who Leonardo DiCaprio's wife was. Uh-huh. That her name's I think Lorenza Izzo, mm-hmm. but she's been in a couple Eli Roth movies, and those two are good friends. Oh, so yeah. I wasn't surprised to see her show up. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke think. Perry, yeah, Luke Perry of all people. Um, he had a great scene, yeah, and Rick Dalton had a better scene opposite him. Mm-hmm. But um, and yeah, Timothy Oliphant. Although, I don't know if I can really call that a cameo because he was in the trailer, you know, as being in the movie. But um, that that scene with him and it, because, like, I really love Justified. Have you watched Justified? I have not. You need to get on that show, too. <laughs> that That is a great crime drama. Because, like, 
you know, the, 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 the area of the country we live in, you're going to be like, holy shit, I work with people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may work with that guy. <laughs> but, uh, oh, any, were any other good cameos I may have missed? Ah, uh, they're not jumping out at me right now. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that were really in the front of my mind. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I noticed Michael Madsen there. In the yes, beginning. I did notice him. Um. But yeah, like Quentin Tarantino movies, you can't catch them all at once. You get no. you, you get, they they require multiple viewings. I mean, because the amount of dialogue they have in them, and then you know just the amount of stuff going on, right? And and then following all the little time jumps and stuff like and that. And what interesting note is not a cameo, but uh, it's something I heard on the podcast as well. When they're driving down the strip and they and uh, Sharon Tate's walking and she goes, the X-rated movie theater's having a premiere. Uh huh. For one. That really happened. Quentin Tarantino worked at an X-rated movie theater that had a premiere, which he was mad because he didn't like those kind of movies. <laughs> yeah, he says that. He said that he got finally got to work at a theater. Uh-oh. Did it just... Okay. It's yeah. still recording. So okay, he good. said he finally got to work at a theater for the first time in his life, and he doesn't like the movies they show. Oh, no! But that theater is the one that he now owns in Hollywood, the New Bev. Is the New it really? That is too cool. So that was pretty awesome. If I'm ever in Hollywood again, I'm going to have to go see something. Yeah, there. I just got to see. They, they show normally double bills almost every night, so there's got to be something planned See, make see, it out there. We do not live in like a major metropolitan area like New York or L.A. that have these really awesome theaters with these really awesome things going on like double features or you know showing halloween on halloween right. stuff like that we we don't get any of that like when i when when i went to see anomalisa i had to drive like an hour out of town to find a tiny little artsy theater to watch it in and, like, and we we drove two hours to go see yeah, we, hateful eight to see and the, 70 millimeter to see the 70 millimeter normally was shown here but to see the special version we had to drive mm-hmm we just don't have that. If we want to see a double feature, it's whatever two new movies are coming out that week. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> so you can watch, uh, you can go watch Hobbs and Shaw, and then watch uh, what else is new this week? I don't even I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. Scary but, stories to tell in the dark. oh yeah, scary stories to tell in the dark, um, which I will not be seeing because I know that scene with the spider eggs and the... <laughs> no 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 no, I'm not doing that. That is that is my note. Like we all have that one thing we see in a movie, where we're just like, oh hell no, I'm not watching that. You know, for me or, or for Josh, it's feet. I don't like I don't like the feet. Don't like the feet. You don't like anything involving teeth. I don't like teeth. I don't like bugs coming out of the mouth either. Well, well, like, I, I just can't handle bugs. Period. Bugs like, and it depends. I, I, and I remember and I remember the um, the books, scary stories to tell in the dark. I remember that short story about the girl who had a spider egg under her skin or something and it popped and they all came out all over her face I'm like oh god no that may be why i hate spiders <laughs> um so this being our first episode of this podcast we are still very much in the experimental phase I'm sh- as i'm sure you can tell <laughs> you listeners it will if, be if, if any of you are still listening <laughs> please come back please come back we love movies, and if you love movies, we hope you would like this this, this yeah. podcast. We, we, we hope this this will just feel like you're sitting around with some friends, and you can just join in on the conversation on your own. Yes. Because that's what this is. That's exactly what this is. Like, like We're going to go off on tangents. Mm-hmm. We're going to make our way. We're going to wind our way back to the subject. Because mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's that's how we do things. You know, we don't really have a lot of, you know, we don't, I'm obviously when I'm in the theater watching a movie, I can't be just sitting there taking notes on what I'm seeing. Um, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. 
I don't want to be that guy either because I'm mean, like I just like whatever is still in my brain when I leave the theater. That's what I take away, and that's usually most of the good stuff. Like when I left, when I left um, after seeing Midsummer or Midsommar, however you pronounce it. <laughs> Ari Aster, if by any chance in hell you hear this, how do you pronounce that movie? <laughs> <laughs> Please keep making movies. We love your stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, that's we're just we just love to we just we we love film. I don't know. I don't know when it started for you when you like decided that you really loved movies, not just as an entertainment medium, but as an art form. Um, I'm not even sure where it happened for me. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. I know I had a roommate once who 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 um, really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone in certain movies and like watching stuff that like I may not have really gotten the movie I may not have really liked the story but like oh I could say wow that movie had great cinematography it was beautiful you know I could find something right. I, I always try to find something positive in a movie without because like when I was when I was younger I just was like well that was stupid I didn't like it that was stupid. You know, the first but, time but you got to ask yourself, why, why did you not like yeah, it? Yeah, why did you not like right. it? Like the first time I saw a Clockwork Orange, you know, I got to the end and like, well, that was a really dumb ending, but that was some amazing cinematography, amazing acting. You know, just I, I can't stand it when people like will just watch a movie and be like, oh, that was dumb. I didn't like it. Well, why not? It was dumb. That's not a reason. Uh, yeah, you got to give me a reason why you didn't like it. You know, so. If we don't like a movie, we'll tell you about it. We um, we have plans in the future to kind of like trade places of like introducing each other to a movie that may be near and dear to our hearts that the other hasn't seen. Or, yeah. um, and sometimes we'll be like this where neither one of us has seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So we're both going in with a blind spot because we yeah. haven't seen it yet. Yes. Hence the name Blind Spot. C- cinematic, cinema, blind. cinematic Blind Spots. Because... Honestly, I really like that when you walk out of a movie going, "Holy shit, I did not expect that." Right. Like um like the like well like okay, Ari Aster again, when I saw Hereditary, you know, um one thing you should know about Josh, he is big into horror movies. He's wearing an Exorcist t-shirt right now. <laughs> um so he has kind of been my sensei in the ways of horror cuz I grew up not watching a lot of horror movies except Jaws, which ironically I'm wearing a shirt of right now too. <laughs> Um, Fright Rags t-shirts. They they have some great shirts. Fright Rags, please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh... And the one I'm wearing is Cavity Covers. Oh, that's you... Cavity... Son of a bitch! <laughs> Damn it! You ruined my... <laughs> Cavity Colors will take your Cavity sponsorship, too. Will... Yeah, we'll take your sponsorship, too. I have Cavity Colors shirts, too. I just happen to be wearing Fright Rags right now. Um, but, yeah. So, if you enjoyed this... On whatever platform you are listening on, if it's Spotify, if it's Apple Music, or if it's Apple Podcasts or Google Play, if you enjoyed this, if we have given you any semblance of entertainment over the last hour and five minutes, hour and six minutes, however long we've been, I'm sitting here looking oh, okay. at the computer screen right now. We 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 really uh, got a good first uh, yeah I a good like first it. episode. So but until next time, well, I'll say anything before we before we sign off. If you could just rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, share, follow I'll, us on Instagram. We will, we, we will, will have an Instagram, Facebook, um, we're Facebook, great ones, mm-hmm. Twitter. We're gonna try to get on all of them. I'll let you handle Twitter. I can't. I can't do Twitter. I've never done it, but I'll try it. <laughs> um, Twitter is kind of like the, the the wasteland of the internet yeah, right now. So, um, so we'll be on all those. Just tell your friends. It really does help. Yeah, it really does help because we love movies. 
And we love people who love movies. So, so I guess this is this Cinematic Blind Spots Episode 1 right. signing off. Right. I have been Adam. And I have been Josh. You people take care.